Sarr, he's an American humorist, said, and I quote, Marriage is the process of choosing the right woman with whom to be incompatible. Is that great? Now, here's one. The author is unknown. I will always cherish the initial misconceptions I had about you. Why the conflict in relationships, not just marital, but any relationship that we might have? In fact, it seems to grow in its intensity when it's somebody we really love. Why do some couples grow old together and some grow apart? Why do some forgive easily and others just get bitter? Why do some relationships work at work, marriage, family, and some simply don't? Regardless of how much we have in common with the individuals we love and that we have relationship with, we are uniquely ourselves. Differences between us will eventually cause conflict. I wish I had been taught that when I was younger. It sure would have made life a lot easier. For just a few moments, could we consider the issue of transforming conflicts into intimacy? Because conflicts really can become a portal for the recognition and healing of emotions and disappointments and weaknesses and unmet desires and misunderstood expectations. If we begin not with the goal of blaming and fault-finding, but with the goal of understanding the unique way in which God has designed and empowered us, then even conflicts which get messy can become something that draws us closer and brings healing. This approach to solving conflicts, by the way, inspires compassion in us. Compassion is a requirement. We'll talk about it in a few moments further. My desire here this morning is to ask the Holy Spirit to expose unhealthy cycles of argument, disagreement, and withdrawal, and bust open wellsprings of honor and loving one another. I don't know about you, but I think that's possible. I think the Holy Spirit can do that. I really do. Consider Romans chapter 14 and verse 19. Let's begin here. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. How many of you are willing to make a new commitment this morning in all of your relationships to make a new effort towards understanding, towards peace, towards mutual edification. It's easy to understand my point of view, 
it's much harder to see where the one you have makes any sense. <laughs> when we explain our less than desirable actions in a conflict, I tend to look outside myself to explain that behavior. When I'm explaining the actions of somebody else, I generally look at factors within them, such as their personality traits. How many of you are tracking with me this morning? <laughs> See, if the conflict's in me, I look outside for something external to explain what I'm, you know? If the conflict's in you, I look at your personality. And I begin to judge, and I begin to paint, and I begin to call into question. When we explain the actions of others, we generally look at factors within them, especially their personality. But listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11, listen to what Paul says. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of the same mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Is that like a fantasy? <laughs> Who's he talking to? Is he talking to me? Is he talking to my marriage? Is he talking to my work situation? Is he talking to my neighbors? Is he talking to me about my circumstances? That that can actually be a reality. By the power of the Holy Spirit can. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it can. Let me give you a couple of triggers that are common when it comes to conflict. These are five primary causes of conflict, and I don't know if I'll even go to five, maybe just four. Number one, verbal attack. I found the door unlocked when I got home. Now, how many of you know in and of itself, that's probably okay. If you, if you have even a, an average relationship, you should be able to say something like that to each other. It's when you follow it with this, you're such a space cadet that, <laughs> you know, man once said, I don't know how you can be so beautiful and so stupid at the same time. The woman responded, well, honey, God made me so beautiful so you would be attracted to me, and God made me so stupid that I would be attracted to you. <laughs> How many of you know there are hot buttons and little verbal missiles? And yeah, pour, it, we pour gasoline on the fire. And the writer of Proverbs understood that when he said in chapter 15, a gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue kindles a temper fire. Psalm 140, Lord, help me control my tongue. Help me be careful about what I say. Can anybody identify with that need? You know, it, maybe when we began it was innocent, but it's often what we follow it with. It's, it just it comes out of some sort of, well, Holy Spirit, I need you to heal that wellspring of where those words come out of, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
A living Bible is not near as kind with that verse, Psalm 141. Help me, Lord, to keep my mouth shut. How many of you know there are some situations you've been in just in the past month or two where if you had kept your mouth shut, that measure of conflict would not have happened in that way? Yeah. See, God, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me with this verbal attack that I get caught up in. Number two, illegitimate requests. You know what I'm talking about. In-laws and boundaries about time with them, visits, vacations, holidays you're going to take with your in-laws. How about this? Long lists of non-negotiables. How many of you entered into the relationship that you have with somebody that's very conflicted and you have long lists of non-negotiables? In fact, when you sat down, before you signed, before you said, I do, you had a long list of (laughs) non-negotiables. Oh, Lord Jesus, help you. (laughs) May the Lord help you. If when you strike up a new relationship, you in this legalistic way have to sit down and go through the non-negotiables. The only thing certain in life is change. And whatever you negotiate today is going to be up for negotiation tomorrow. This getting along with each other, this this purposing towards peace that we read about in Paul's words has to come from something other than a book we read or a psychology course or best efforts that we make to get along. Here's one. Expecting others to keep me always feeling good. I expect you to always make me feel good. How many of you know that's not reality? I'll bet the Lord has planted some individuals in your life who intentionally make you feel bad just, just for the fruit of the Spirit to grow in your life. (laughs) Patience, love, joy, peace, It's not practical, it's not realistic, even for your spouse to always make you happy. You're going to have to draw on something from somewhere else to keep you happy than the people that you are in a relationship with. How about comparing, quote, yours to those you see on social media? Some of you would do well to fast social media for 60, 90 days. (laughs) Social media, for all of its blessing, has a lot of curses tied to it, too. And in this area of relationships and intimacy and getting along, it fosters and it feeds that comparison that we make between what I have and what somebody else has. And you, do, you know, don't you, that what they post, they're only going to post the best. They're going to 
post the happiest pictures. They're going to post the celebration. They're going to post the greatest things about themselves. You don't live with them. You, you're not married to them. You don't come to the office every day and have to work with them. How about this illegitimate request? Everything you do just inspires me. <laughs> Have you ever? I know there were relationships in my past, especially with spiritual mentors and leaders, you know, people that I would meet in a conference. They might be teaching from the pulpit. I'd be out there sitting where you're sitting, and I'd be so impressed, and I'd be so, oh, listen to their words. Listen to how they crafted that sentence. Look how they engage with the people, and they've got them laughing. And I used to, oh. I'd want to meet them. I'd want to touch them. I'd, 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 I'd want to go out to lunch with them. And can I tell you that in 35 years plus, 35 plus years of pastoral ministry now, I have had the very gracious and wonderful opportunity to sit with some of the greatest men and women from the body of Christ. And I can tell you, there are times when my idea of their persona, that you need to always make me feel good that, you know, you need to always inspire me, was popped like a balloon. <laughs> and I realized they put their pants on one leg at a time too, just like I do. They have foibles and weird things and stuff they do that, how many of you know what I'm talking about? It's called king making. The moment you turn somebody into a king, the moment you turn your attention from Father God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ to a man, I don't care how impressive, you're in trouble. Here's another illegitimate request that we make. All your ideas are accepted and praised. Do, do you have an expectation that all your ideas and all your uh, all your ideas are going to be accepted and praised in a group, in a meeting, in a marriage. Isn't it disappointing when they're not? Isn't it disappointing when somebody you admire, that you respect, disagrees with you? And yet, this is the way God has made it. You don't know anybody who agrees with you perfectly. You don't know anybody in your life who thinks all of your ideas are fantastic. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. How about this Ill uh, illegitimate expectation? He should know what I'm feeling. She should know what I'm feeling. They should know what I'm going through. Well, Unless they're operating in a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit, such as word of wisdom, word of knowledge, Uh, I don't think so. There is no gift of intuition. 
We say, you know, they have a gift to be. There is no supernatural gift called mind reading. And by the way, the gift of discernment is not the supernatural gift of knowing what you are thinking and feeling. The only way that I'm going to know what you're feeling is for you to pull off the masks and for you to tell me. This is what I think. This is what I'm feeling. This is what's bothering me. And we just don't have that expectation in relationships, especially spiritual ones. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I know, my God, that you test the heart and you're pleased with integrity. All these things I've given willingly and with an honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. See, we need a work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, keep our heart loyal to you, not to somebody I've been impressed by. Number three, a third trigger is cumulative annoyance. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Cumulative annoyance. Why do you always forget to put the dishes in the washer? <laughs> it's such an easy thing. How about being consistently late? The last three appointments you told somebody you would pick them up and get them to the doctors for, you were late. Well, it's no big deal. We got there on time. You were late. <laughs> See, the, the problem with being late, perpetually late, late to everything, is it shows a real dishonor and a disrespect for the individual. How about this cumulative annoyance? It builds nitpicking criticisms. Nitpicking criticisms. Everything's a little criticism. This, that, the other thing. Everything is criticized. Nothing can be right. How about this one? I'm, I'm, it seems I'm constantly in relationships where this is common and nobody says anything about it, but I call it the one-upmanship. My fish is bigger annoyance. You start sharing a story. You start telling something that happened to you. And the person you're sharing it with doesn't just con continue listening and give you approbation. They have to tell a bigger story, a better story. Well, when I was, and when I went there, this happened. And their fish always has to be, if your fish is this big, their fish has to be this big. If their fish is this big, your fish has to be this big. One-upmanship. How about if we just stop and listen to the story and then not need to throw in our own, not need to compare, not to, need to one-up and give praise and approbation Here's another cumulative annoyance. How about when every story somebody tells is about you, is about themselves? 
Have you ever been around somebody where everything they tell you is about them? <laughs> really? See, life doesn't revolve around me. It revolves around you in a conversation, in a meeting, in a time of sharing. It revolves around you. So God gives us a grace to be a blessing to others by listening to others. How about this one? God has been so good to me, I know that he would do the same for you if you only... Don't you hate being around that? Boy, God's been so good to me. This blessing and that blessing, and look what happened here. And I did this, and I laid my hands on this person. I saw this, and I know he'd do it for you if you only... <clears throat> and the implication, of course, is had more faith. We're stronger in the Lord if you were more free in the Holy Spirit. And Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And a fourth trigger, pride. Always focused on the changes that somebody else needs to make. Erica Young, in her book, How to Save Your Own Life, said this, and I quote, How wonderful to have someone to blame. How wonderful to live with one's nemesis. You may be miserable, but you feel forever in the right. You may be fragmented, but you feel absolved of all the blame for it. We have a simple test today for this problem with pride. If you're thinking about the person sitting next to you right now, there's a problem. <laughs> if you see the other person, oh, I hope they're listening to pastor this morning. Oh, I wish so-and-so were here this morning. That's pride. See, in compassion and in dealing with conflict, we don't spend time focusing on someone else for whom you have zero accountability to control. We focus on ourselves. The best person to work on is me. Look at this. The best person to work on is me. I think we have this available for the screen. Matthew chapter 7, look at this. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? <laughs> That's such a hard passage of the Bible to read. Oh, I wish God hadn't put that one in there. <laughs> now, here's a couple of other verses in that same chapter. If I can get back to it here. Here's a couple of other verses. 
uh, from the message translation, verses three through five of that same chapter. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. <laughs> oh, God has a way of speaking to us, doesn't he? Well, I learned long ago it's never right to point out a problem without offering a solution. I should never come to the table talking about an issue or a problem or raising a concern unless I have some sort of suggestion about how to solve it. So let's talk about some seeds of solutions. Most of us try to resolve conflict by, by demanding the overhaul of the other guy because we've defined the problem in terms of the other person. I have problems because of you. Have you ever felt that? I have problems because of you. Here's another one. I have problems because of the way you are. See, expecting change from your spouse, your friend, your coworker without demonstrating acceptance of his or her unique position is virtually impossible. So it was Andrew Christensen and Brian Moss in their book by this same title, Reconcilable Differences, who said, and I quote, change is the brother of acceptance, but it is the younger brother. When acceptance comes first, it paves the way for change. Isn't that great? Abe Lincoln was outside talking to a congressman one day about various political matters. He was in the yard of his own home. Mary Todd, and for those of you who do not even know who Abraham Lincoln is, shame on our school system. <laughs> no, I mean truly, today kids that are going to school aren't even learning about Abraham Lincoln and Mary Todd. Mary Todd was Abe's wife. Mary Todd stormed out of the house, ruthlessly castigated Lincoln for something he had done, and then stormed back inside. <laughs> Abe is outside with the congressman, standing in the yard. Mary Todd shoots out of the house, castigates him. Aghast that a wife would behave so outrageously in public, the congressman looked to see Lincoln's reaction. Lincoln was undisturbed by the incident and explained to the incredulous congressman that such outbursts made his wife feel so much better that he hardly wanted to put a stop to them. <laughs> Yeah, not just a story, true fact. Isn't that amazing? Now, hearing and reading things like this helps me. It should help you. Because sometimes it's just perspective we need on reality. 
and a freedom to dip into something beyond ourselves when we feel locked in and pressurized by our circumstances and by relationships that are going south or they're not healthy for one reason or another. God always has a little bit different perspective of how that thing can be approached. And so there are three seeds that we can plant this morning in order to minimize that conflict and bring healing. Number one, we're talking about planting the seeds now of acceptance and change. Number one, understanding. Understanding. Or in other words, I promise to focus on the God in you. I promise to focus on the God in you. Also, when we're trying to be understanding is, I promise to act, not react. Paul said in Romans 12, don't let evil get the best of you, but conquer evil by doing good. You see, there's always a moment during the point of conflict where I have a choice. I have a choice to pour more gasoline on that fire or to hold my tongue, just as a for instance. In this instance with Abe, Lincoln, and his wife running out and yelling at him and eviscerating him, he chose to hold his tongue and then keep such a sweet spirit about it. How amazing. It helps her. You know, it, 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 it helps her. Now, what I find so very interesting at that, because I am not Abe Lincoln. <laughs> I am not Abe Lincoln. My wife will tell you that, that one of my, my buttons, one of my, my, it's just, it's like a little missile is when I feel disrespected in public by something, whatever it might be. Could have been something said, could have been something that happened, could have been something somebody else did, whatever. It's very difficult. And so when I read this story about Abe, I thought, wow, if he can do that, I don't know, I don't know if he was filled with the Holy Ghost or not, but... I'm saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, talk in tongues. Amen. I can take on the spirit of my brother, Abe. I promise to act not react. So don't be nervous if you get in a conflict. We all do. It's a choice that I make in that moment. Ruth Graham. How many of you know who I'm talking about? How many of you know Billy just passed away at, I believe, 99? Wow, what a legacy. Billy Graham. Ruth Graham, his wife, during an interview made the following statement. Actually, she was responding to this question. 
She was asked, does it ever bother you that Billy Graham has just finished 17 weeks on the road? Does it ever bother you that his schedule is so busy? Here was her reply. At that time, by the way, Billy Graham had just been gone five months on the road. Her answer, you know, seven months with Billy Graham is better than 12 months with any other man. Wow. Number two, a second seed that we can sow, that we can, we have control over, we can do something about this, is compassion. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you've learned from me, what you've heard, seen, saw, and realized. Do that, and God who makes everything work to... Watch this. Do that. Control your thought life. And God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Every one of us has various relationships in our life right now that are not healthy or that are struggling or that could be better. Some of us are in the middle of some sort of relationship, maybe not with a spouse, but otherwise some relationship that's really going down the tube. It's distracting from your time, your schedule. It's wearing you out. You feel drained. You don't know what to do. You've thrown your hands up, and, you've, and you're becoming bitter. I submit to you the words of Paul here, Philippians 4, that a seed that we can sow to change it is that I can control my thoughts. I can choose to be gracious, to fill my mind's mind and meditate on things that are noble and true and reputable and authentic, not the worst, excuse me, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly. I choose to do that. And here's what he promises he will do in relationship to me making that choice. The God who makes everything work together I don't know how he does it. I don't know how God takes two people that are doing this. I don't know how God takes a work situation where every day when you get to the office, the only thing you want to do is turn in your resignation and say, this is it, goodbye. You've gone out on lunch and walked crying tears at the battle that you have there in that work really. I don't know how God does it, but I know that God can take the worst of circumstances and relationships and turn that thing around, flip it upside down, and bring harmony to it, it says. He will work you into his most excellent harmonies. You see, we choose to place a new emphasis on acceptance as a path to resolving more of the conflicts which arise. 
Now, when I say acceptance, I'm not saying just accept everybody for who they are. Actually, what I'm saying is knowing and believing that who and what you became in the incarnation and redemption of Jesus Christ is a reality. It's true about you. It's true about my neighbor. It's true about my boss. It's true about my coworker. It's true about my spouse. God has redeemed them. And in his incarnation, he has made them beautiful and incredible and wonderful. You see, I choose to believe that about you and them. No matter what the circumstance, no matter how bad it is, I can choose to believe in what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. And that that incarnation of his life, his perfect life and love, does not apply just to Christians, doesn't apply just to churchgoers who pray, but it was something God did for all of humanity. See, I have to operate in faith to operate in this second seed called compassion. I'm going to accept you, not because I agree maybe with what you're saying or what you're doing right now, but I accept you. What are you accepting about them? The incarnation of Jesus Christ, who Jesus made them to be. I know it's difficult, but acceptance comes before change. Change is the younger brother of acceptance. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 219, my co-crucifixion with Christ is valid. I am not making this up. In his death, I died to the old system of trying to please God with my own good behavior. God made me alive together with Christ. How can any human effort improve on this? Isn't that incredible? You see, I can show compassion to you because I believe God made you alive with Jesus Christ. And you are not the same person that you used to be. And whatever's lingering in your life, my life right now, I'm not going to look at that because God doesn't look at that. I'm going to look at who you are. And I ask you to look at me, not for what lingers in my flesh, but for who Jesus made me to be in the beautiful incarnation of Christ. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, just a couple verses. Your salvation is not a reward for your good behavior. It was a grace thing from start to finish. You had no hand in it. Even the gift to believe simply reflects his faith. If this could be accomplished through any action of yours, then there would be ground for boasting. We are engineered by his design. He molded and manufactured us in Christ. We are his workmanship, his poetry. We are fully fit to do good, equipped to give attractive evidence of his life. Oh, I am fully equipped to give attractive evidence of his likeness. Isn't that beautiful? Are you struggling with somebody right now in your life? Is there a relationship that's tense that you're struggling with that just is, is going south or it's unhealthy? The words have become caustic and toxic. 
I invite you to have compassion. I invite you to begin to accept that person in a new way. Accept the Jesus in them. Accept the them in Jesus. Accept the incarnation that they are an expression of God's beautiful likeness. Verse 13, but now, wow, (laughs) everything has changed. You have discovered yourselves to be located in Christ. What once seemed to be so different, a distant, is so near. His blood reveals your redeemed innocence and authentic genesis. It is in him that we are one and at peace with Could you read that aloud? It is, verse 14, please, ready, read. It is in him that we are one and at peace with everyone. He dissolved every definition of division. See, that's a choice I make when there's conflict, to believe that about the person I'm in conflict with, and I need you to believe that about me. Is that a yes, I'll do it, Caitlin? Yes, I hear the Lord, amen. I'm going to do it. I'm going to love my past. (laughs) All right, number three, the third seed. The third seed that you and I can sow. Do less of the same and more of the different. Isn't that good? Yeah, I wish I had wrote that. I wish I had thought that up. Yeah, pride. Do less of the same and more of the different. Paul said something similar in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, if you are angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. Don't let the sun go down on your still angry, get over it quickly. Down with you, with you still angry. Let me start all over again. See, now you've got to love me. This is the incarnation working. This is the incarnation. Don't let the sun go down with you still angry. Get over it quickly. Wow, I have that power because of what Jesus has done in me. Mark Williams and John Tisdale, in their book, The Mindful Way Through Depression, listen to me now, because I know partly because of my pastoral position and partly because of in any gathering where there is this number of people, that there are a number of you wrestling with depression over conflicts that you're having in relationships. You may even be on medication because those conflicts have driven you to a point where, where you've lost control and, you, and you're needing medication to, to, to balance. It's okay. God hasn't left you. He's with you. He understands. But may I share this thought with you from their book, The Mindful Way. Listen, quote, sometimes just acknowledging what's actually going on instead of what should be happening is all that's needed to transform our experience. Just being real in the moment and saying honestly, I need more compassion. I need more acceptance. I need you to understand. In other words, disclosure. The third seed is called disclosure. I'm going to disclose. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to conceal. I'm not going to run from it. I'm going to disclose it. 
George Bernard Shaw said, the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. The single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Well, you just don't understand me. Have you really opened up and disclosed your feelings and shared intimately your thoughts? Well, you just don't listen to me. Are you under a misconception that you've truly communicated clearly? Because if we'll sow these three seeds of disclosure and compassion and understanding, God has what he needs to bring us into that Christ-likeness and deliver us. May God help us. With each of these things that we've talked about in the balance of relationships, the relationship balance.